Can you hear me? Ah, good morning. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Missouri is the show me state, which means to convince us you've got to show us. Now, some people would, would say we're stubborn. We like to say that we're realistic. Our model, motto is, I'll believe it when I see it. Well, God is not from Missouri. Because God says you'll see it when you believe it. So let's ask ourselves a question this morning. Do we have 2020 spiritual vision? At the end of chapter 4, Paul gives us a spiritual eye chart. In verses 16 to 18, there are three things we are to see by faith. Three things that we have to believe in order to see. And those three things are, first of all, we need to see the difference between the outer me and the inner me. Look at verse 16. Therefore, we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now, what's the outer man? Well, the outer man is what Paul has been referring to already in this chapter. In verse 7, he called it an earthen vessel. In verse 10, he called it our body. In verse 11, he called it our mortal flesh. It's this physical body that you live in. It's this flesh carton that you walk around in. And we place great emphasis on our outer man today. We work out, we eat certain diets, we take care of ourselves, we do aerobics, we exercise, we uh, get hair transplants, we get tummy tucks, we take care of our outer man. When you look at a Christian's prayer list, oftentimes most of the prayer requests have to do with what? The outer man. We place great emphasis on the outer man because we naturally look at what? We naturally look at the outer man. The Bible says in 1 Samuel 16, 7, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. But you know, if we look honestly at the outward appearance, we will agree with Paul that it's decaying. If you're my age or close, just go back and dig up some old photos. You won't, even, you won't just be surprised at the kind of clothes you're wearing. You'll be surprised at the way your face looks and the way your hair looks and the way your body looks because you are decaying. You are going downhill. You are not what you used to be. I knew I was decaying when people started coming up to me about 10, 15 years ago and asking me if I was Hal Green's brother. Now they call me Hal Green. 
The inner man is the opposite of the outer man. The inner man is the real you. It's the inside you. It's the spirit you. It's what Paul calls in the next chapter in verse 17, a new creation. And he says, the outer man is decaying. What's happening to the inner man? He's being renewed day by day. The inner man is growing. The inner man is being filled with life. And because the outer man is decaying and the inner man is being renewed, he says we don't lose heart. We don't faint. We don't throw up our hands and get discouraged. Now those who don't believe do. There's a pattern that people see and that is a large number of men, primarily men between the ages of 35 and 54, suddenly and inexplicably make wholesale changes in their lives. They change jobs, wives, location, looks, cars, wardrobe, and the excuse we give is they're having a midlife crisis. Now, psychiatrists attribute that to a man's unwillingness to come to grips with his own mortality. He arrives at midlife, which is really a generous statement because if you live to be 70, your midlife is 35. But he comes to midlife and he hasn't answered the major questions in life like, where did I come from? Why am I here and where am I going? He, does, he hasn't really found satisfaction in life. He hasn't really achieved all those goals that he set out to achieve, and he realizes he's probably not going to achieve those goals. And so as the years and the miles go by, and he's more and more conscious of the fact that he's not going to be around forever, he makes that effort to defy reality. And he gets rid of his wife, and he gets the younger wife. He gets rid of his minivan and he gets a sports car. He gets a teenage haircut. He tries to re reach back and recapture his youth. Well, let me tell you something. If you're a Christian, you don't need to have that crisis. Because you know where you came from. You know why you're here. And you know where you're going, and though the outer man is decaying, I am investing in the inner me. And the inner me is being renewed day by day. Now how do I invest in that renewal that's taking place? Let me give you three suggestions this morning. Number one, look at the chapter we're in in verse 10. He says, always caring about in the body the dying of Jesus. Number one way you can cooperate in this renewal is by surrendering your body to God. To say, I am dead to sin and I am alive to God. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 puts it this way. Present your bodies as a living sacrifice. You see, I have already come to grips with my mortality because I am crucified with Christ. 
when you have already visited your grave and said, I'm already dead. The old me is dead and gone. We're going to see a baptism later. It's an illustration of that, being buried with Christ, dead, buried, and rise in newness of life. I've already visited my tombstone. So I realize that I am mortal. I have died with Christ. Number one, surrender your body. Number two, there's a verse in Ephesians 3.16 where Paul says, I pray that you may be strengthened in your inner man by the Spirit of God. Now, how do you get strengthened in your inner man? Well, you know, when you look at life, life is basically a number of decisions that you make. You wake up in the morning, you decide whether to get out of bed or not. You decide, you know, what you're going to have for breakfast. Am I going to have the granola or the Fruit Loops? You decide whether to turn right or turn left. You decide, am I going to continue down this pattern of sin in my life that I have practiced over and over again in my life, or am I going to make some changes in that area? And how do I make those changes? Not in my own strength. I have to surrender my will to the Spirit of God who changes me. And so this process of being strengthened in the inner man is just a matter of saying I'm surrendering to God in the decisions that I make in life. I'm letting him take over in those decisions. And every time I make a decision to let the Spirit of God have control, I get a little more muscle on my inner man. And the next time I surrender, guess what? It becomes a little easier to surrender to the Spirit of God because I am being strengthened in the inner man. It's by the Spirit. Later in that same book, in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 18, he says, do not be drunk with wine but be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's a great contrast. Don't be filled with with wine, but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Why does he contrast those two? Because they kind of work the same way. When you get drunk, guess what you do? You say, I am putting my will under the control of alcohol. And guess what happens? You walk different, you talk different, and you have this boldness that you didn't have before. He's saying just the way you surrender your will to the alcohol, to the wine, you are to surrender your will to the Spirit of God. Let Him take over your life. Guess what happens? You walk different, you talk different, and you have a boldness that you didn't have before. It's a matter of yielding my will to the Spirit of God. That's the way I'm strengthened in the inner man. So I surrender my body, I surrender my will. Thirdly, I surrender my mind. In Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 22, it says we're to put off the old man. And then in verse 24, it says we're to put on the new man. And right in between, it says we're to do that by the renewing of our mind. In Romans chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. How do you get renewed in your mind? Well, 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 2 says, We are to be like newborn babes, and as such we are to long for the pure milk of the Word. I am to take in the Word of God, and when I take in the Word of God, I am to appropriate it into my life, and as I do, I grow. 
We've got some new babies around here. You look at a baby, what is a baby? The baby has to be fed. They f- parents feed a baby and feed a baby. Come on, eat, 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 eat. And pretty soon the baby is starting to appropriate that and grow. And by the time they're a teenager, they have a hollow leg. And you're saying, stop eating. Spiritually speaking, you're to take in the pure milk of the Word, which is the Word of God. And as you appropriate it to your life, you grow. And as you grow, guess what? You get a bigger appetite for the Word of God. And the bigger appetite means you take in more of the Word. And what happens? You grow faster in your life because of that. Your mind is being renewed. And so this renewal takes place as I surrender my body to God, as I surrender my will to the Spirit of God, as I surrender my mind to the Word of God. And what's the renewal that's taking place? Well, Colossians 3.10 says that we are being renewed into the image of the one who created us. We are being, that's amazing, we're being renewed into the likeness of Christ. 2 Corinthians 3.18 said it this way, being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. I was talking about this with somebody last week because I was looking at a little baby and, and somebody was trying to tell us who the baby looked like. And a couple of us pulled ourselves aside afterwards and said, you know, they all look the same to me. Little baby, I remember when Lindsay was born, she, she was uh, larger than we thought, and she came out and her, her head was all cone-shaped, and she broke her collarbone, and she was all bruised up and beat up, and there she was in the hospital, and people came up and said, aw, she looks just like you. I said, no, she looks like my wife. <laughs> but see, that baby comes into the, into the world, and, and I look at a baby, and I say, I can't tell who that looks like. It doesn't look like a human being to me sometimes. But what happens? The baby grows and develops. Now, it's got all its parts when it comes into the world, but it grows and it develops And you look later on and you go, wow, he's the spitting image of his dad. What happened? He grew into the likeness of his father and his mother. That's what happens to us. And it says this renewal takes place day by day. So let me ask you a question. Who do you think is going to look the most like Christ? Well, if you're renewed day by day, my guess would be the person who has the most days. You look at a person who's walked with the Lord for 40 years, 50 years, 60 years, that outer man is more decayed. But guess what? When we look through the eyes of faith, we see that the inner man is more like Christ. And in our society that honors youth, There is a beauty about godly old age that oftentimes people know nothing about. You see, when we believe in order to see, then we see the difference between the outer man and the inner man. Second thing we see is we see the true nature of of our troubles in verse 17. You've heard the phrase, my eyes are deceiving me. 
You've heard the phrase, my eyes are playing tricks on me. Well, sometimes they do. You see, you can't always trust what your physical eyes see. I was watching one of the uh, NCAA games yesterday, and they were, they were showing a call by one of the officials that uh, when they slowed it down, it was very obvious he made the wrong call. And you want to go, well, why couldn't he see that? Well, because it was happening quickly and his eyes played tricks on him. Let me illustrate that. I want you to look at this sentence, and I want you to count the F's in this sentence. How many F's do you see? If you're finished, hold up your finger. How many? How many? Four? Two? Three? Okay. It worked on my, my uh, trial group of six people. There's six F's up there. Most people see three. But see, what happens is you don't see the, the little of's because your eye tends to skim over those. And there's three of them up there. So it's not so much your eyes are playing tricks on you, but your brain plays tricks on you. It sees it, but it doesn't process it correctly. Which reminds us that when we say, I've got to see it to believe it, we don't even see everything the way we think we do. And I think as we look at our troubles, oftentimes, our afflictions, our difficulties in life, we don't see them the way we should see them. And verse 17 tells us how we should see them. Notice, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. When we look at our troubles, when we look at our afflictions, we tend to see them as heavy. You ask somebody how you're doing and they got some problems and it's almost painful for them to tell you. you know, it's, it's, oh my goodness. Let me tell you about all the things I'm going through. Nobody knows the troubles I've seen. But in describing affliction, Paul says it's momentary. It's only for a little while. It's only for a season. Have you ever been watching TV and suddenly the picture goes out and that message comes up on the screen and it says, we apologize for the temporary inconvenience. Please stay tuned. And usually moments later, the picture comes back. Well, compared to eternity, our pain and suffering is only a temporary inconvenience. Even if you suffered for years, it's just a moment. What troubles are you facing today? Whatever you are facing won't last long. Your financial problems are not eternal. Your sickness is not eternal. Your pain of betrayal and rejection will not last forever. Your grief over the loss of a loved one is not eternal. 
It is a temporary inconvenience. Paul says it's momentary, and then he adds it's light. It's not overwhelming. When somebody says, can you handle that? You say, yeah, I can handle it. It's light. Well, whatever you're going through in terms of afflictions and troubles, Paul says, it's light. And when Paul mentions afflictions, he's not talking about a little headache or an ingrown toenail. You know, we're going to read about him later in chapter 11, and he's going to say he was shipwrecked, he was beaten, he was imprisoned, he was stoned and left for dead. But he can say it's momentary, and it's light. Why? Because his focus was not simply on his troubles. He was looking beyond his troubles to the glory to come. When he talked about glory, rather than being momentary, he says... It's eternal. It's forever. And rather than being light, he says it's a weight. It's heavy. But see, that doesn't really describe it because he says, after saying it's momentary and light affliction compared to eternal and heavy glory, he says the reality is it's beyond all comparison. There's nothing here to really compare to the glory to come. He said it this way in Romans 8.18, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It is so spectacular. It is so different. It is so otherworldly that we don't even have anything to compare it to. So let me tell you this this morning. There's a lot of people that think about the Christian life, and they think about, well, you know, what we do is we just hang on in this life looking forward to what's going to happen after the grave. But that's not what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that there is purpose in suffering. The sufferings are not futile. They're not accidents. That God's in control of the affliction and the difficulties and the troubles that happen in your life. So let me tell you something about that. Number one, your troubles are preparing you for glory. James 1 teaches us that. 1 Peter 1 teaches us that. The very troubles in your life are helping you become more like Christ and preparing you for glory. But our passage doesn't just say that. Our passage says not only are the troubles preparing you for glory, but that your troubles are actually producing glory. Do you see that? That's a pretty amazing statement. What happens in your life, these light momentary afflictions are producing for you an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. There's a story in the 3rd and 4th century about uh, Christians who were imprisoned at that time, and and, uh, Constantine became the emperor, and when he did, he released all the Christians from prison. And he found out about a man who had been in prison almost all his life, and he was an old man. And so he brought that man in, and he said, I want you to weigh the ball and chain that is attached to this man. And whatever that weight is, I want you to give him that weight in gold. You see, what he suffered really produced what he received 
in terms of reward. But see, that's a one-on-one comparison. I would take that if God said, okay, I'll give you that. Whatever your afflictions weigh, I'll give you that much glory. But that's not what God says. God says momentary troubles are producing eternal glory. And light affliction is producing heavy glory. Now, I'd take it if he said momentary affliction will give you a little momentary glory. Light affliction will give you some light glory. See, we do that all the time. I see sometimes where they're giving away a car and they'll have people come and, and they'll have people put their hand on the car. You seen this? People put their, maybe a dozen people put their hand on the car and whoever keeps their hand on the car the longest gets the car. These people stand there. One day, two days, three days with their hand on a car. Now, I'm sure when they're driving the car one day, you're saying, what was that like? And they say, that was momentary because I got a new car. I guarantee you, if uh, Kevin Greaser announced at his bank, come down to my bank and uh, I'll take a uh, hacksaw and cut one of your fingers off and we'll give you a million dollars. People would line up to go to the bank. What's a finger for a million dollars? It's a bad illustration. It just kind of came to me. (laughs) Oh, well. You see, in God's economy... If there's no cross, there's no crown. If there's no suffering, there's no glory. And your suffering is actually producing the glory. Jesus illustrated that in Hebrews 12 too. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Well, you can endure the suffering because there is great joy and glory ahead of you. And when you see the nature of your troubles, you will never look at your troubles the same again. Third thing, you see the unseen realities around you. Look at verse 18. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We are to look at what? Unseen things. You said, well, Dan, how do I see unseen things? Well, actually, you do it all the time. You see unseen things all the time. The word look in verse 18 is the Greek word scopus, from which we get our word scope. There are plenty of things around me that I can't see. For instance, there are amazing, beautiful galaxies out there that I can't see, but if you let me look through the Hubble telescope, I can now see those galaxies. There are plenty of things in this world that are too tiny for me to see. Pollen spores and blood cells, but if I can look through a microscope, I can see them. How do you see the unseen things of God? You look through a faithoscope. Hebrews 11.1 says, Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. 
How do I see them? By faith. 1 Corinthians 2.9 says, Things which eye has not seen and ear has not heard and which have not entered the heart of man, all that God has prepared for those who love him. Guess what the next verse says? For to us God revealed them through the Spirit. We can see the unseen things revealed by the Spirit of God. And why are you to look at the unseen things? Well, because the seen things, the things you can see, are only temporal. This beautiful building will one day be gone. Mount Everest will one day be leveled. The oceans will one day have evaporated. This earth, the Bible says, and these heavens will have been burned up. I'm always amused by the phrase, real estate. There's nothing real about estates. That's not going to last. You've heard the expression, there's more than meets the eye. Well, that's accurate. I think of Abraham in Hebrews 11, 9 and 10. It says, by faith he lived as an alien in the land of promise, as in a foreign land dwelling in tents. For he was looking for the city which has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. He lived in tents looking for God's city. How did he do that? By faith. I think of Moses in Hebrews eleven twenty seven. It says, by faith he left Egypt. For not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is unseen. How do you see him who is unseen? By faith. I think of Elisha in 2 Kings chapter 6. He and his servant were trapped and surrounded by the army of Aram. And his servant said, what are we going to do? And Elisha said, relax. Because we're outnumbering these guys. And the servant did the math. And said, what do you mean? There's two of us. And Elisha said, Lord, open his eyes so he can see. And the Lord opened his eyes to see that the hills were full of horses and chariots of fire. And he said, ah, we do outnumber them. I was just looking at the seen. Elisha was looking at the unseen. How do you do that? By faith. Let me ask you something. Would you pray that prayer this morning? Lord, open my eyes so I can see the unseen and the eternal. You know one way you can tell that your eyes have been opened spiritually? Well, there are two things in this world that have a visible aspect, but they also have an unseen aspect, an eternal aspect. The first of those is the Word of God. Jesus said, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. This is his word. I can see it. But he's really not talking about this book. 
and the print on this page because this is going to pass away. But there's an aspect to the Word of God that it is eternal, like no book you've ever touched or seen or read. And then the other thing is people. He just told us there's an outer person and there's an inner person. He's not talking about the outer person because that's decaying and that will pass away. But there's an inner person there. If you're really in touch with spiritual eyes, guess what? You will be investing in the Word of God and you will be investing in people. You will be reading the Word of God and you will be reaching out to people. Well, that's the spiritual eye test. You'll see it when you believe it. The inner you being renewed as the outer you is decaying, the weight of eternal glory your troubles are producing, and the unseen realities around you. Lord, open our eyes so we can see. We're going to close our service today doing two things that Jesus told us to do. The first is a baptism, and you guys can come out. As you watch this baptism, Marcus is being baptized. You can watch these with, this with just human eyes and say, he got wet. Or you can watch this with spiritual eyes and say, he's a new creature inside. There's an inner person there who's being renewed day by day. And the expression of his baptism is really a picture of the fact that he has died and been buried with Jesus Christ and he is rising to walk in newness of life. Um, my name is Kevin Combs. This is my good friend, Marcus Siegel. Um, a couple of the guys and I were really blessed to be put on Marcus's dorm floor this year. And um, we got to share the gospel with him a lot, and he was, he was real receptive. He was kind of in a stage of seeking God, uh, but just hadn't quite entered into that relationship with Jesus Christ yet. And over the course of a couple of weeks, we got to share with them, and, and actually we got to go to a concert here uh, by Mercy Reigns. Uh, they performed here at the chapel, and we got to talk about what their lyrics meant and kind of what it meant to, to follow Jesus Christ and, and for him to be the center of his life. And, and so we continued to talk with Marcus over the course of a couple of weeks, and I remember uh, on a Wednesday afternoon Bible study, uh, Marcus came up uh, after the Bible study and said, Kevin, I've, I've made a decision. Um, I, I want to follow Jesus Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. Uh, and I want Jesus Christ to save my soul. And um, so we looked at a couple of scriptures, and we prayed to accept Christ right there. Um, and so today, in, uh, in obedience to Jesus Christ, Marcus has come to be baptized. So, uh, Marcus, have you entered into a relationship with Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Yes. All right. Then uh, I will baptize you upon your profession of faith in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Jesus really only asked us to do, or told us, commanded us to do two things symbolically. One was baptism. The other is communion. And we're going to close our service out with communion. And again, you can view communion through human eyes and just say, well, that's some bread and some juice. Or you can view it through the eyes of faith and realize that it's symbolic of the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, sacrificed for you and for me. And so Ryan's going to come up and the praise team's going to come up and lead us in some closing worship.
We've got stations here. As you pray and prepare your heart, you come and take the bread and the cup and remember the Lord Jesus as he commanded you to do. If you're not a member here, you're welcome because this is the Lord's Supper. It's not our supper. He told us to do it, and we're doing it in obedience to him. And so we welcome you to participate with a heart that is surrendered to him and eyes of faith. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that by believing we see. And Lord, I pray today that you would give us eyes to see the sacrifice of Jesus Christ afresh, to take this bread and to take this cup, as you commanded us to do, to remind us because we're so forgetful. But more than just a memory, we pray that it would be a fresh reality to us as we see the cost that you paid to die in our place so that we could have life. Allow our hearts to rejoice today as we respond in obedience by remembering you this morning. In Jesus' name.